Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Lighting Archive. Modern theatrical lighting is a unique art form whose history until now has been exceedingly difficult to study due to limited access to original lighting documents. The Lighting Archive website is developing a collection of actual plots, focus charts, and cue sheets from real shows. We will place an emphasis on historical production and designers who have made important contributions to our field. The Lighting Archive is currently a volunteer effort. The grants received so far have been used to build the website and its content management system so that we can put up more content by ourselves. If you are moved to help out, please go to the website for the New York Foundation for the Arts, nyfa.org, where you will find us under Fiscal Sponsorship, Beverly Emmons, The Lighting Archive. As we are a sponsored artist project, your contribution is entirely tax deductible. Thank you. This episode is also brought to you by... The Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook Group Online Mentorship Program. The Mentorship Program is an online avenue to connect, share, collaborate, and provide helpful assistance to students and teachers alike by putting them together through social media. If you wish to be a mentor or are looking for someone to be a mentor too, be sure to click on the mentorship link located on the menu page. Lots of great people with experience in many different fields awaits you. If you've been with us since the very beginning of this podcast, my guest this week is someone you might recognize. Carrie Ann Chandler is a studio and live audio engineer, producer, musician, instructor, and friend from Trinidad and Tobago. This time, she's in New York City attending class at NYU. Carrie recently earned a Fulbright scholarship to do her master's in music technology at the Steinhardt School. I couldn't be happier for Carrie on this next part of her professional journey. To learn more about Carrie, be sure to check out our earlier conversation located in this podcast's archive. Enjoy the show. And we are, we are, we are live. Good, at, uh, good morning. It's not good. It's good morning here in Chicago, but it's good afternoon in Brooklyn, New York. And on this episode of the podcast, we have a repeat visitor. My guest this, this, uh, this time is from our very first interview. It, once again, we are visiting with Miss Carrie Chandler. Hey. Hey, who is uh, now in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, if you could kind of give everybody an update of what's going on, some big news, and uh, let's let's go from there. All right. So I am now relocated from Trinidad to Brooklyn, um, mostly because I am here to do my master's at NYU. Um, I'll be doing a master's in music technology, and I'm here on a Fulbright scholarship, which is awesome. Um, This is my one, two, three third scholarship for studies um, and my second time in the U.S. studying. My first was at Full Sail University. If you guys remember our first episode, um, I was over at Full Sail 
back in 2010, 2012, that period of time and now I'm in Brooklyn for the next two years and who knows yeah exactly who knows so uh to your Fulbright scholar can you uh, yes can you tell me a little bit about the process how that happened what it took to become a Fulbright scholar okay so to become a Fulbright scholar well it's a national competition um you do have to apply to get the scholarship you are interviewed um, you do have to send in, you know, a certain amount of documentation. You have to send in, um, you know, like a reason why it is you want to study, a study plan, a statement of purpose, all of those things. And you are interviewed by a selection committee. They make the decision on who is selected um, and who would be the best fit for their program, the Fulbright program that is, because they're actually looking for persons who can be both an ambassador for their country and for the U.S. at the same time. Um, so it was a bit of a lengthy process, um, but I think it all in all, it, it, it was it was a really good opportunity for me. Um, coming to the U.S., they sent all of their scholars to something called a gateway orientation. And in the gateway orientation, you meet scholars, Fulbright scholars from around the world. So, for instance, at my particular gateway orientation, I met people from Germany, I met people from Lebanon, I met people from Namibia, I met people from Timor-Leste, I met people from Peru, Colombia, Dominican Republic, I mean, basically every corner of the world, Asia, India, my roommate was Indian. Um, uh, I also had a roommate who was from Latvia, and it's basically like this huge like coming together of all of these different cultures. And you get to learn so much about all of these different cultures and countries that I personally have never visited. And I'm hoping that I'll get to visit now because everything seems so interesting, you know? Um, but it's also a bit of you get to teach all of these people who have never been to your country a lot about your country. So, you know, people ask questions like, what is the main language that's spoken in Trinidad, um, you know? Sometimes they might ask silly questions like, where is Trinidad and how do you get around in Trinidad and how did you find out about this program? And it's like, well, we have the internet too. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're not Gilligan's Island here. No, we're not. We don't swing on vines. You know, we drive cars. We have Wi-Fi. We're pretty much, you know, up to date. Um, Absolutely. Um, you were talking, uh, just, to, just to back up a little bit, you were sure. you started talking about the beginnings of the process and Obviously, there's the prerequisite paperwork. Right. Now, this process for you started in Trinidad through the U.S. Embassy. Did you go online? And is, it, and is there an application in New York? And then also you said there, there was an interview process. So, mm -hmm. again, was, uh, was a lot of this done uh, in person or was this done online? How was this done? Okay, so first I got information online through the U.S. Embassy. Um, they had... They have a special page that tells you when you can apply and what you need to apply for and where you need to send your information. Um, so that part was online, but the rest of it was in person through the public affairs section of the U.S. Embassy. Um, once they received all your documents, they get back in contact with you and they let you know, okay, um, can you come in for an interview? Um, the interview is, again, in person. Um, you literally sit at a long, round table um, with all of the persons on the selection committee. Some of them are Fulbright alumni. Um, some of them are persons who've been elected to the committee, and some of them are persons who work with the U.S. Embassy. Um, not sure if that answered the entire question. I think I left out something. So that, that's because I, I don't know if you had to like fly to New York or no, 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 no. Florida um, or, or somewhere like that. 
that would have been optional. Let's say I wanted to check out different campuses and make my decision. That would be on myself. Um, that's not a part of the process, though. So I didn't have to do any of that. But when you are selected um, and you start the, the scholarship procedure, you do have to select up to five schools in the U.S. Um, that, that are within your field that you would possibly be accepted to. And based on the acceptance rate, you choose the best one for you. Okay. So that's that's how I ended up at NYU. NYU is actually my first choice of university, and lucky for me, I got accepted. There, was there ever a doubt? Um, I'm not sure. Not for everybody else, but you know, you know me. I I might be like, oh, what if I don't? But yeah, yeah. I, I got to. So so now you're at uh, now. Are you part of the Tisch School of the Arts, or is it a different school? Different school. Um, music technology is actually housed within the Steinhardt School of Education and Culture and all of that. So um, also some music courses are also at Steinhardt. Um, there is another Fulbright of, from Trinidad and Tobago who is going to NYU as well. Um, and I happen to know him. His name is DK Samai. Um, and he's going to be doing film composing and um, scoring for movies, I guess. So he is actually coming up from Trinidad to NYU, and he'll be here around the 23rd of August. That that's, is also in Steinhardt. That's exciting. So, it is. So now, the, now you've recently relocated. So now you've been there, what, about two weeks? I've been in Brooklyn for Friday. We'll make it one week. Oh, wow. um, and I've been in New York for two weeks now. Um, the first week is when they send you to your gateway orientation, and mine was located in Rochester Institute of Technology. So I was over in Rochester for a week. Okay. And so in the, in the, so the way the program works, so you said it's a two-year program? Yes, it is. A full two-year program taught on campus. Okay. And uh, when, does, when do classes start? Classes for me are going to start September 3rd, I believe, because um, September 2nd is Labor Day, but I start on the 3rd of September. Uh, I do have exams before that, if you could believe it. I have two exams to do, um, music exams as well, music theory and music history or something like that. Um, so even though classes start a bit later, I am going to be studying from today. <laughs> yeah, they, there, there's, no, uh, there's no waiting period. It's just like, Hit the ground and off you go. Exactly, exactly. Now, now you have you have traveled before to New York City prior to this. Um, for a very very short trip, I came in 2010 and I wanted to experience Panorama with a steel band here. So I actually, I think it was Despos USA in 2010. I actually played for Panorama, but I was only here for like one week, so it was a very very short trip, and I did not see a lot of New York. Okay, so now, so now you have two years of New York. Oh yeah, and and today we we had been exchanging a couple of uh, messages, and you said that you found a little bit of a slice of Trinidad in your uh, in your new neighborhood. It sounds like I, I did, I did. I actually went to the bank, and just across from the bank is the Carib West Indian supermarket. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yay. So I actually got to go in and buy some, you know, Trinidadian stuff, um, seasonings and stuff to, you know, maybe cook and make some food from back home so I wouldn't be too homesick. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that was, that was a good experience for me. And then as I crossed the street, there's um, Ali's Roti Shop. So I know where to get roti now and Trinidad curry if I want some of that. 
and directly next door to that, I think it's closed. I don't know if they're still open, but there's Charlie's Calypso City, where they sell Calypso and steel band records. And, you know, so it was it was a nice little area for me because it's like, oh, so many things from home. You know, it's really cool. I, I find that um, when you move to a new place, the first thing you, you hope to find is familiar, um, you know, whether it be food, whether it be music, just something that goes, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not so, everything's not so... Uh, so foreign far. anymore. Yeah, yeah. So far. But even though, you, you know, you, 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 you found a slice of home, what are some of the new things that you hope to experience now being in, as they say, the city that never sleeps? Well... The first biggest one on my list, which I'm not sure if I'm excited or scared for, is snow. I've actually never experienced snow in real life. So I'm going to be experiencing that a bit later this year once the winter starts. Um, other things, definitely I need to do some sightseeing, um, you know, go to the um, Empire State Building, World Trade Center, the Oculus at the World Trade Center. Actually, I want to go see that. Um, the Brooklyn Museum. There, there are a lot of things that I, I haven't found yet, but I know there are a lot of things to go see. So, you know, there's that. Um, I have been down to the Eastern Parkway, which is where Labor Day celebrations take place. Um, but I'm probably going to be there a lot more coming closer to Labor Day. Um, and I still actually have to head over to campus and explore the entire campus because NYU is not like your typical university where it's confined within one area. Um, it's actually spread out across Manhattan, uh, lower mid-Manhattan. So there are a lot of different buildings, you know, they even have like athletic facilities here in Brooklyn, even though that they're in Manhattan. So I have a, a lot of sightseeing to do. And one of the first things I did when I got here is I bought an unlimited Metro card. So buses, trains, wherever I have to go, I am going sightseeing. You know, I'm, I'm just going to find my way around New York. And, and that's probably the, the single you're probably going to think that's the single best investment you're going to make is just being able to get around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, um, they have city bikes. You know, you can rent a bike and ride around the city. Um, and I do like cycling, but I think for my purposes right now, I'm, I'm just going to take the bus and the train. I, I, I find that uh, uh, probably a wise choice for right now because I can only imagine all the, the cars and everything zipping around down there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as bad as Trinidad, <laughs> you know. Well, um, yeah. I think it's because I haven't been downtown Brooklyn yet. Okay, okay. The uh, uh, so so you get to experience not only um, uh, some of the, the architectural wonders and, and things like that, but you also get an opportunity to check out um, a Broadway show, an off Broadway show. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Things like that. Um, in uh, in in so to. To kind of talk about the the, the, the transition, mm -hmm. you uh, you would as part of the the process for your uh, your your scholarship, you mm -hmm. had to say what is it that you were hoping to learn or achieve or why do you want to do this? And it's a very kind of cheesy question, but you know now you know if we we do this interview now and a year later we talk again and and, and, and it might be some. Something different who knows right so right now what is it other than obviously the, the, the huge change of environment what what is it that you're hoping to at least work towards uh in your experience at at, at nyu okay so one of the actually i'll start with why i chose nyu um and what my second choice of university was um i actually wanted 
to go to a university that has steel pan in it and has a a foundation in steel pan, understands the instrument and, you know, might use it for research purposes. And NYU and NIU, Northern Illinois University, those are two very well-known universities in Trinidad for actually embracing our national instrument and furthering, you know, studies, furthering research into that particular instrument and how it can be absorbed into um, commercial music, how it can be used for concerts and all of these things. So... I was accepted by both universities, but with NYU, they they do have a full steel band orchestra, and I'm actually interested in seeing how different recording techniques, different playing techniques, different performing materials um, can change the sound of steel band. That's that's one of my main um, interests right now. So I also want to see how the steel band could be better used in technology. So you know, taking that study and bringing something back home. Because in my experience, what I've realized is that there are very few people from Trinidad and Tobago who actually research and document, um, you know, their findings with the steel pan and how the instrument itself can develop. Now, it's a wonderful instrument, you know, and it was born out of some very interesting circumstances, if you know the history of steel pan and how it came about. And these guys, they didn't study anything to create this pan. It was just a purely creative expression expression of music and sound and of themselves. So I think, you know, we're more than due for some sort of upgrade, some sort of um, way that we can help this instrument to evolve and really be accepted even on a more global scale. So that is one of my primary focuses with this Master's in Music Technology. How do I adapt my national instrument or help adapt the instrument to to evolve um one of the other things i'm also interested in more on a personal note not so much academic i would really like to get into doing music for movies and music for games and all of these things um, and being part of the faculty at utt in the digital media arts program we've just started offering the game arts or game design specialty and I think having someone who is based in how do you create sounds for, for games, um, you know, and what is used right now, I think that would be a very good asset to the university and, you know, back home, Trinidad, because we have a lot of creative young people who are doing amazing animations and amazing work, you know, and I think we have a lot to offer. So there's my interests, there's my academic professional interests, um, and of course, the best thing about New York and one of the main reasons why I chose to come here is the ability to network. There are people from all around the world here. There are opportunities that might pop up at any given point in time. So I'm literally looking to connect with those people and see you know, how best I can make an impact um, professionally and artistically. You know, it's interesting you talk about, um, there, there are a lot of things that you mentioned that I agree with. I think there is there is a, a an immense amount of uh, digital talents, media talents, in Trinidad. Because at one point UTT had uh, a program that was, as part of their sort of mandate, was to foster entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. and, and some of the some groups have sort of developed out of it, right. and, and have started to create their own little digital media companies. Or you've had some self starter students that you know, already were on that path and just needed a little bit more experience. And it's great that um, digital media arts has has 
come to the forefront. Um, USIPT yeah. just had, I, I, I want to say it was recent, a uh, symposium on digital media arts because, you know, this is where production is going. Yes, it is. It's becoming the, the not the new toy, but it's becoming another level of expression. Yep. Um, one of the things you talked about um, was uh, seemed to fall in the, the vein of scholar scholarly work. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that you and I both know um, that there is a lot of work done on Calypsonians. Um, yeah. It's there's books upon books. Um, Chalk dust or um, uh, what's what's his actual name? Um, Dr. Hollis Liverpool. Dr. Hollis Liverpool. He's gonna he's gonna hear this and he's gonna be like, "How could you forget my name?" <laughs> Don't worry, I remember the fee. Okay, um, but he is he has been he continues to work diligently even to even to this day to keep Calypso alive and and, and things like that. And mm. you know, it's with the with the steel pan. You know, I. You know, I am not a music person per se, um, so I don't know if there are books written about it. But what I have seen uh, is the the spread of the instruments being played. So during uh, when uh, carnival happens, you have people from the U.S., you have people from Asia, you have people from Europe who are coming to play in the bands, and some of them have taken that instrument to to their own countries. Uh, right. I mean, is 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 the is your hope to at some point write uh, papers, write a write some sort of book of, about this, or do you know of people that that do this and and they were an inspiration to you? Um, my inspiration for the steel pan and what I want to do with it is actually um, two of my colleagues at UTT, Yoichi Watanabe and Katz M.I., they have been very instrumental in steel pan recordings for, I would say, probably the past 10 years or more. Um, they are actually, they've, they've come up with their own innovative way on how they would record steel pans, how they would mix steel pan music, um, you know, and... Me personally, this is just my personal opinion. Um, some people might disagree. I personally think that the quality of recordings of Steel Pan has actually improved over the past number of years, um, thanks to their contributions. Yeah. Um, so they have actually kind of motivated me to make that change. Um, in terms of books and all of that being written on it, um, there isn't too much being written, you are right, in seeing that there are more Calypsonians who are um, revered for their work and contribution to music. So I think it's something that we can start changing. Um, but it is changing because of programs like um, music at UTT and the music at the University of the West Indies. You know, we are getting more scholarly um, pieces, we are getting persons who are considering this instrument as something that can be looked at and should be looked at. So, so it's, it's growing. The, the mentioned, mentioned um, uh, Katz and, and Yuichi, um, who are really great guys. Uh, and I don't know how they, they manage to do all the recording they do, because it seems like it's a 24-7 job and you, they're just everywhere. Um, in, in the terms of recording technology, has is the technology already existed and it's just figuring out how to marry it to the to the to the instrument, the recording of the instrument, or is there instru uh, technology that needs to be developed 
that will eventually be able to capture the the, the, the resonance, the sound, the, the feeling of the steel pan. Like if you if you look at um, uh, saxophone players or trumpet players, yeah. they have a built-in. They they now have special microphones that they can put on their their instruments. Guitar players have you know they have the electric guitar and things like that. Is there eventually going to be a steel pan type device that attaches to the steel pan, you think? Right. So, I mean, currently we are recording steel pan with the existing technology, the same mics that we use to record any acoustic instrument. Um, there have been experiments to use, you know, more developed um, or different types of microphones to record the steel pan. But most recently, some of those have not actually been very successful. And we've gone back to using regular miking for acoustic instruments. Um, I think the technology can be developed. In fact, uh, I was reading something a while ago that another colleague sent to me about a quantum microphone. All right. Which basically, if I recall correctly, it measures the sonic differences between particles um, instead of creating a voltage um, via electromagnetic induction as regular microphones would work. So it's actually a lot more accurate in measuring the sonic characteristics of sound and how sound moves. Um, I think if that technology is perfected, it could be something that will be extremely important for steel pan but steel pan is a very difficult instrument to record because it's so resonant and because of its its you know its makeup the material that it's made out of steel um you know you hit one note and it's not that that single note is resonating the entire instrument is resonating to give you the sound of that single note that you hit so in a sense it's it's a tricky instrument to record um and I think that technology for the pan does need to be developed if we really want to get the best out, out of the instrument. Uh, because what I've heard a lot is actually many people telling me they don't like the steel pan. They find it to be a very noisy instrument, you know. Um, and it might just be an approach that we need to find to make it sound better. Or it might be that we actually have to adapt the instrument or technology to the instrument to make it sound better. Um but is technology developing? Yes, we have companies like Indigisounds, um, Digital Pan. Um, you know, they they have created applications, software, apps you can download on your phone and literally play a steel pan on the touchscreen of your phone or an iPad. Um, and some of those they sound very very realistic, especially the one from Digital Pan. Um, so there is a lot happening behind the scenes. But I think it could happen even faster and we can do even more if, if we really knew what we had in our hands. So, so let me back up just a little bit because you were talking mm -hmm. about the, the, the type of microphones. Just so, just so myself and the audience can be a little bit clear on... Sorry, I, I get a little bit nerdy sometimes. No, no, it's okay. I, hey, I'm all for nerdy. Um, so you talked about... So if I go to a store and I uh -huh. buy Sure SM58, which is pretty much the standard rock and roll... Microphone. Yeah. That has a, a, a wire in it and a diaphragm, and when you when you sing into it, that vibrates, and that is what and that sound gets captured and amplified and done whatever with. Yeah, so yeah new, pretty so, much. So this new technology you're talking about, this kind of quant, you say quantum, quantum microphone, I believe. Yes. Okay. So is that kind of like the equivalent of say an LED, which Instead of a physical um, element vibrating or or 
or in, in LEDs as opposed to a, a, a passing electricity through a piece of wire. Now you're dealing with very small microscopic diodes and creating a specific, a specific color, a specific light. What, what, uh, is, is that kind of the, the, the gist of it? Um, in a sense, yes, you, you could say it's like the difference between a regular light bulb and an LED. In, in terms of a microphone, you are going to get extremely specific um, sound coming from that microphone. Um, I myself, I haven't seen it in action. Like I said, it's, it's literally just something I read about um, this week. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems like it would get very, very intricate with the sound that we're actually going to get out of any particular instrument or any particular area. Um, it's actually measuring the energy between sound particles as they move. As, so, as they... yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's <clears throat> what you're not getting out of it um, where you would with a regular microphone. Um, you know, you have to use air pressure in a regular microphone to move that diaphragm. And as that diaphragm moves, um, it's it's going to move a coil that is either around a magnet or something like that. So if you if you have an idea of electromagnetic induction, if you have a couple wire around a magnet, um, you know it's it's going to attract and repel and create a movement of electrons that we're going to call voltage. So currently, we actually use physical elements to create a voltage that represents sound. So we're kind of changing the state of sound, if you want to consider it that way. Um, but with the quantum microphone, what I get from it is that it's actually not changing the state of anything. It's measuring the state of sonic particles as they exist. So we don't, we no longer have, we don't have any delays from any materials. You know, we don't have to worry about any additional noises being created by the materials that are being used. You know, it is just a pure measurement of sound. Okay. So in, in other words, you're, you're reducing the gap that is normal in what we have today. So mm -hmm. instead of so instead of tenths of a second, you're talking microseconds. Yeah, yeah. So quite possibly. So so let me ask you this: this, um, what does the how does the role of the pan tuner then 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 affect what it is? Because you know, if you if you're building violins, for example. They're built mm -hmm. out of specific material, and uh, you know the difference between a cheap uh, violin or an inexpensive, let's say, and a Stradivarius. Some would say it's the material; others would say it's the hands of the craftsman that that affects the the, the feeling and the quality of of the unit. With with a steel pan, because it requires such adjustments to create a, a series of notes, as opposed to say like a piano, mm -hmm. which uh, loosening or tightening of uh, various uh, wire. Um, how do, how do you see the role of the pan tuner playing into what it is that you're trying to discover? Well, first of all, um, he's extremely essential. If you have a pan that is not tuned properly, then you're always going to get bad sound, right? right? Same way if you have a violin that isn't tuned properly, if you have a piano that is detuned, you know, you're going to end up with something that sounds a bit funky. Um, so he's, he's very important in terms of making of the instrument, uh, different tuners will give you, sorry about that. Different okay. tuners will, will give you a different sense of, um, tuning. Some of them might have 
to quote one of the guys from the Panyard last night, uh, they might have a different sting. They might have a different attack, um, which I will translate to being um, sharpness or, or brittleness of the note, um, you know, how much it might pierce through. Um, and some tend to have a, a more mellow tone. So I think it's, it's really, really important. But whichever way the tuner tunes the instrument, once it is in tune, um, it's not really going to cause an issue really in terms of the, the microphone or how we capture it or anything like that. Um, it's just going to sound, you know, different as in how you'd have a, let's just say, a, an Awai piano versus a Yamaha versus a Bosendorfer. You know, um, it's almost like you're going to get different brands out of it depending on how well your tuner tunes. But I can't say that it has a significant impact on the way that the steel pan is going to be recorded. You were you also talked about um, a little bit about uh, materials. Mm -hmm. So the, the what may what is the ideal material for 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 a steel pan? Because as opposed to just you know, because now nowadays you know metals aren't as uh, pure as they were. So yeah. you know, because of cheapness or because of cost or, or whatever it may be, you know, uh, I. If I, I would guess that if you took a, a steel pan from 40 years ago and yeah. compared it to a steel pan today, they're going to be weight is going to be different. The the makeup of it's going to be different. What I know this might sound like a really kind of weird question, but is that something that, that people in in the industry talk about and say this is what makes the best instrument? We need steel drums that are that are like this so that we can cut them and sync them to be this? I will say um, traditionally steel pan tuning techniques were something that were very guarded, kind of like trade secrets in the, the world of tuning steel pans. Mm -hmm. So I might actually be a bit at a loss for exactly what materials to tell you what grade of um, steel in terms of the, the, the oil drums that are used. Um, but I, what I can tell you is that in my experience and in talking to a couple of tuners, you want to get one that has sufficient thickness and strength um, because when you're making the steel pan, it's made from oil drums, right? It's made from barrels. When you are making the steel pan, um, one end or both ends of it has to be sunken in. And you want one that has a, a very specific thickness of steel so that while you're sinking it, it doesn't boost. It doesn't boost open. Um, if that happens, you've already compromised the quality of the instrument and the quality of the tuning. Um, it, it may not hold tuning as well as another oil drum that has not been, you know, boosted or whatever. Um, I guess you can think of it like if a string on your violin boosts that you can't tie it back together, tie a knot, and then think it'll hold the tuning the same way. Right. Um, so it, it works that way. But in terms of what particular material, that would actually be a question that a steel pan maker and tuner would have to answer for you. That that is one thing I myself haven't yet gotten into. Yeah, because this just jumped into my head because as an environmental. Yeah, sure. You could you could keep talking. Oh, OK. So as a, as a slight, um, uh, because of all the, the now environmental concerns um, and the moving away from fossil fuels and, and, and things like that, 
I, I bet no one ever envisioned saying that the steel drum may, the, the, as we know it, may disappear or evolve into something else. And that I don't know if that's going to threaten at some point in the future the, the, the existence of the traditional steel pan. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. All right. You have a very, very valid point. Um, a lot of people are not talking about that right now um, because in Trinidad, we are an oil-rich country. And even with a lot of the world moving towards, you know, more renewable sources of energy, green sources of energy, um, we are still very much dependent on the sale of our oil. So we're still very much dependent on having these barrels made, you know. Um, so we haven't really seen a decrease yet in terms of being able to make these steel pans. Um, we still have steel pan factories that are in operation in Trinidad. We have even more pan tuners coming out of Trinidad, younger pan tuners opening their own pan factories. So I think for the time right now, it's, it's not so much of an issue and it's definitely not a concern to most people in the music industry and in the steel pan community. Um, but I am glad that you raised that point because that is something that I, I do want to raise with some of my peers in the steel pan community, especially here in the U.S. Yeah, it's 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 like those unintended consequences. It's yeah, you know, and we certain instruments are made from materials that are still, you know, certain um, uh, uh, wood instruments are not necessarily going to disappear. Yeah. But it would be interesting if someday someone decides to make a purely green recyclable uh, a violin or cello or something like that. And how it, because at least in my world, in the production arts, you know, because we're moving away, because they've stopped, dis they've discontinued making certain lighting instruments. They're starting mm -hmm. to move away from traditional incandescent lamps to yeah. now LED sources. And that's really changing, you know, how we relate to, to what the craft that we're doing. Um, and at, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see the evolution of, of musical instruments because, I mean, have musical instruments really evolved? I mean, we've come up with different forms of them. I mean, with the electronics revolution, you had electronic yes. pianos and electronic this and electronic that, but really have instruments changed a lot? Um, I would say no, aside from the electronic side, as you're saying, um, right now, Pan is not in danger in that way because we do have, as I mentioned, we do have certain apps that have been created to make sure that we can electronically or digitally capture the pan or use it in different music productions. So it's it's not really too much of a scare right now. I will say, though, as it becomes more noticeable that, hey, we are going to lose out on the main material that we use to make steel pans. Um, I think more, more and more people might actually get involved in terms of making a sound library, in terms of making more applications that we can use, or even including it as something that should be introduced to the software manufacturers. So like Apple, like Avid Pro Tools, um, Cubase, um, Steinberg Cubase, sorry, New, Nuendo and all of these things. Um, they may have to consider having this, this instrument put in there because of the fact that it we might have an endangered instrument on our hands. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I saw uh, uh, about a month or so ago um, that you had, you had the opportunity as well as one of the other folks uh, who we both know and who's had the opportunity to be on this podcast, Megan Gill, 
uh, we're doing um, uh, uh, video conferences with a with a school in Trinidad of of young women who were interested in in the arts. Is that true? Yes, yes. Actually, there was a Sound Girls um, Sound Camp for for young females who are interested in in our field. So we actually let them know this is a viable field of um, employment and opportunities. It's a little bit um, unorthodox in the Caribbean. Not many parents might tell their kids, hey, you know, this is something that you can get into. But it is important because it gives them the opportunity to creatively express themselves and, and really go after something that they might be interested in for themselves or already showing potential for whether it's in producing, recording, making music, being a DJ, you know, making sounds for films and games, um, or even just recognizing the need for capturing certain, certain sounds from Trinidad and Tobago that might be natural to us. You know, um, it, it might be our atmospheres. It, it could be anything that is really Trinidad and Tobago and, and could be useful in any way to acoustically and sonically represent that. And I think that that is a, a really important thing to do. The, so how, how, did you, how did you get uh, involved with this? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Or was it one of those things where it's like someone recommended and you said, I'll be happy to do it? So the Sound Girls Camp was actually put on by a friend of mine who is also an alumni at the at UTT in our music technology program back when it was just the certificate program. Her name is Delise Francis and she is also known as DJ Dell in Trinidad and I believe Atlanta where she recently performed for Atlanta Carnival. Um, so she also has this vision for, you know, um, making sure that young persons know that, again, this is something they can consider for themselves. Um, Delise, myself, uh, another alumni from the ETT program, also female, Joanna, um, and I believe Megan as well. Yep. We, we see the need for having a woman's audio mission in Trinidad and Tobago, and that's something that in the next few years, we're actually going to work towards putting together in Trinidad and Tobago, having a union, not just for audio engineers or um, persons in the sound industry, but women in the sound industry. And that's because typically we are very underrepresented and there are very few women in the music and sound industry. Um, but wherever we go, we tend to do very well in the industry. So we want to make sure that our impact is known for whatever we're doing. The, uh, now this camp, is it, uh, is it, is it hopefully going to be a yearly thing? Is it only during the, the summer months? Or? Yeah. Well, as far as I know, it, it only happened during the summer month. It was, it was one week long, I believe. Um, but it was in its first inception. So I think once we have more involvement from the community wanting to get involved in sound, and you know, each one of us, we kind of posted as different persons in um, connection with Delise. She had sent it to me. She sent it to uh, Martin Raymond at, at UTT. You know, so we shared it to try and get a, a bigger reach. Um, but this was her first time running running the the Sound Girls camp, and I think once she gets that response, she will actually be doing another camp. Um, and hopefully, we can we can contribute more to it. Myself, Joanna, and Megan um, to make this a much longer camp. Turn it from maybe one week into two weeks, maybe the entire summer. You know, and it can possibly be something 
that is introduced elsewhere. It might be good for, for you know, um, UTT to consider this thing that Delisa started as something that they can have as their summer camp as well. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great idea. I think any opportunity to be able to afford to, to, to people who may not necessarily have the opportunity, I think it is great. So um, we were talking about uh, the impact that, uh, that you're going to have. Uh, you know, it, one, one of the things that they never tell you as a teacher is, uh, you know, you, everyone wants immediate results, immediate results, immediate results. But it's not until three years later, four years later, that the student that you had the opportunity to interact with, when they finally get experience themselves and go do something, you know, that's, that's where you see the result. Um, and I think that's, that's yeah. going to be interesting when uh, you have, you know, a few series of classes of, of students to, uh, to, to impact. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, you're going to have a whole, a whole class of, of, of people. Um, I don't want, I, I clearly, I don't want to take up all your time because you've got an entire city to explore and uh, <laughs> things you've got, got going on. Um, I guess, I guess, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know um, just, you know, what, what, what's, what, what's the big picture? What's the big picture now? Cause la last year it was, uh, you were talking about, you know, being a voice to, to show that uh, there's a place for women in Trinidad in, in the sound arts as engineers and, and things like that. You know, now you're a year later, you've made a big stride in, in working towards that, 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 that goal. Um, now being a, 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 a Fulbright scholar, showing that, you know, anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Um, what is it that you would like to share to, 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 to folks now a year later? Um, most important thing is always to keep developing, always keep growing as whatever your field is. Um, for me, it's as an audio engineer, it's as a teacher, you know, it's as a recording engineer, um, and it's also as a musician that's coming from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so always keep growing. But also in growing, you should always have a sense of where do you give back? Where do you contribute um, both to your field and to where you've come from? You know, and in giving back, you actually, I think you, you, you always get blessed moving forward. You know, as long as you're willing to be selfless in, in whatever you are doing. Uh, I'm not by any means saying work for free and don't eat. <laughs> but I am saying always look for an opportunity where it will help you grow and it will help you to help somebody else or other persons or or, or field to grow um, an industry to grow and I think where I'm coming from from Trinidad and Tobago we have a lot of growing to do um, I also hear a lot of people maybe complaining or saying you know this should happen this way or that should happen that way but the best way to make a change is to be the change you know, so I, I would say those strides that I've made, um, yes, they are strides that I've made to make myself more marketable um, in my industry, um, you know, but it is also something that I'm doing so that I have a better offering to give back. I have more knowledge that I can share with others. I have more experience that I can tell people about that might make them excited to have more experiences themselves, you know, to interact with different people. Um, and 
I'm always proud to carry that Trinidad flag on my back um, to let people know that there are great things that come from this country and they can still expect even more great things from this country. So I, I would say that's, that's what my big picture is. All right. That, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of you. I think what you're doing is awesome. Um, Thanks, Richard. <laughs> if, uh, if, now, obviously, you, you relocated to New York, but is your, uh, how, if people need to find you um, if, uh, for, say, work or to talk or look for advice, what's the best way for them to, to, to find you? Um, so I'm on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Kerry M. Chandler. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is serenity868. Um, for those of you who don't know, 868 is the international country code if you are dialing to Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so that's, again, wearing that Trinidad flag on my back, right? Um, yeah, you can find me that way. Or if, if you need to send me an email, if it's work-related, um, I, I do prefer, you know, business things, work emails and that sort of thing to come in um, directly to my Gmail account. So my name is kerryann.chandler at gmail.com. That's my email address. Um, I'll spell it for you because some people spell Kerry differently. It's K-E-R-R-I-A-N-N dot Chandler, C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R at gmail.com. So yeah, you can find me that way. Excellent. Excellent. I, uh, I hope, uh, we continue to make a difference through the through these through these talks. Um, of course. Other than that, uh, like I said, you got some studying to do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> well, you know, I just, it's the teacher in me now. Yeah, and you know they say teachers are always the worst students, right? Oh, oh, don't even start with me on that. I, I, I'm going. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> this conversation is about you. Oh jeez. Well, hopefully I, I get to that studying. You know, it looks kind of sunny outside, so. It, well, and again, it's it's New York. It is, and I want to go exploring. So we'll see. All right, all right. Well then, I wish you the best. We'll talk again soon, and uh, I look forward to uh, an update on on what's going on. Of course. Thank you so much, Richard. Okay. Stay in touch. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.